0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 209 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the one, the only, the Belgian Grand Prix from Spa-Frankenshaw, one of my absolute favorites. You can't can't avoid loving this place. It's just incredible. Um, And uh, yet again, I am joined by the Brit with real brass. It is Christopher Roche.
1: That's me. Still here. Still British.
0: Still British. I just, you know, after all these months, I just, I'm just impressed.
1: (laughs) That wasn't me. And of
0: course, (laughs) and of course, it's not just Mr. Roche that's uh, joining us. It is once again Harrison that may have a thing or two to say uh, in between uh, drinks of milk. So anyway, uh. This was by no, this was, this was a fantastic race. And, uh, there was ups, downs, a tightening of the championship drama throughout the field and, uh, no, uh, Paul Duresta to throw off the conversation started this time, Chris. So where should we begin?
1: I think that's only one place to begin. Um, we had, uh, equaling of a, a pretty amazing record didn't we over the weekend uh, lewis hamilton getting his 68th pole position to equal michael schumacher's record um, on the same weekend that uh, michael's son decided to uh, do some demonstration laps of spa in a 94 benetton so it was um, it was quite a you know an emotional weekend for those of us with uh, a long memory of formula 1 so it's uh, good times
0: uh, those indeed you know my uh, my career of being a Formula One fan is not long enough to have witnessed uh, Michael Schumacher in the Benetton, but it is certainly long enough to have witnessed Michael Schumacher many times over and uh, read up on his uh, many achievements and for Lewis Hamilton to match what many thought was an unmatchable record by Michael Schumacher and post-qualifying for Ross Braun to take the microphone and say a few words on behalf of um, Katrina or Curtina uh, Michael Schumacher's wife, um, for her to say the words, uh, you know, records are meant to be broken. You know, that was a that was a properly stirring moment.
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, it was amazingly touching. Um, I don't think many people thought many drivers would get close. To, to that pole position record. I still don't believe anyone's going to match his race win record or his world championship record, actually. But, but yeah, that's pretty impressive because Lewis has competed in um, quite a lot fewer Formula One races than Michael did. Uh, I don't remember the numbers, but it's probably about 90 or so well, Grand Prix fewer, right? Something like that.
0: Well, Lewis, uh, this was also, Spa was also his 200th Grand Prix. Yep. Um, so that was, there were, there were a lot of... Um, fitting uh, fitting uh, milestones that came across uh, uh, in this Belgian Grand Prix. And, but you're absolutely right. I, I do I have a little bit of a hard time with that because the last three seasons of Schumacher's career certainly added to his race total, but not to his win total or his pole total. And I feel that there's almost... To Michael Schumacher's to talk about you know when he retired at the end of two thousand and six i don 't think he was that much farther than two hundred grand Prix so I to me that's a little bit fairer of a comparison, but we're getting into nitpicking for sure
1: yeah I mean I think that's that's a good point, but you know if you if you return to a sport without changing your name or your personality i'm <laughs> no. afraid you have to uh, you have to, you know, in Michael's case, unfortunately, suffer the consequences of it. It did tarnish his history a little bit. I mean, you know, but only very, very minor, on a minor scale. I mean, he got, really, the, the thing that tarnished his career more than anything was being outperformed by Nico Rosberg. But other than that, he uh, right. he, he was an elder statesman. His record will speak for itself in generations so I don't think we need to get too excited about that poor uh, return. You should never have come back. There's no doubt about that. But it uh, just shows how difficult, when you've had so much success for so long, how difficult it is to walk away from a sport. And um, and sometimes you, you do so uh, you know, for the right reasons and it can be at your peril if you choose to return and it doesn't work out so well.
0: That's exactly right. And uh, there's some fascinating stats. But I mean, even with... Schumacher's record, let's say he, he crested 300 Grand Prix Well, he won 91 races. So even with the added three seasons, he was still nearly one in three in terms of races entered races won. So, you know, it's, it's far from a poor record, (laughs) even with, even with his uh, second coming and, uh, The fact of the matter is he was the all-time record holder for pole positions. Uh, Now he has to share that, and uh, there's obviously many opportunities for Lewis to go ahead and break that record and be the one and only person to have more pole positions than any other driver in Formula One's history.
1: Yeah, and you know, you look at the current crop, I mean, uh, obviously poor old Alonso isn't in any danger of getting a pole position, but Vettel's not a million miles behind, I think he's on 48 poles, Um, he's going to have many seasons still in Formula 1, probably with competitive cars, so he's certainly um, able to catch the the likes of uh, Senna and Schumacher in his career potentially, and then... um, We'll have to see where it all shakes out between Lewis and, and uh, Sebastian. But uh, but it was an interesting qualifying. I mean, I was I was surprised how close Sebastian came to nicking pole position, obviously with a little bit of help from your best mate, uh, Kimi, getting, getting <laughs> a toe down the camel straight, got him within almost just under a quarter of a second of Lewis's That's time. That's right. Uh, which was, you know, I think everyone was very surprised how competitive the Ferraris were on a track that was expected to favor uh, the Mercedes um, chassis. So, yeah, it was um, it was an interesting qualifying. That you know we had the top four in their usual places, even without Kimi getting a second run. And then we had good old Palmer putting in a good effort. That was a shocker.
0: Well, Palmer, <laughs> Palmer, yeah. Let me get to that in just a second. I do, <laughs> I actually, I have one more uh, point to close out. You mentioned Sebastian Vettel and. Uh, and his pole position record, and you're you're certainly right. It's not out of bounds. You know he's he's you know a couple seasons behind. I would say even if he had a dominant car, but um, he's younger, which favors Vettel. But he's also married with a child. Hamilton's still single. <laughs>
1: he's so, <sadly> married <laughs> with a child. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah.
0: So. I, I, I actually I feel that if if the threat comes from anyone uh, currently in the lineup, it won't be Vettel. Uh, Vettel certainly is not... Vettel could quit tomorrow and still have one of the most illustrious records out there. But uh, I have a stronger feeling that if uh, someone like Max Verstappen uh, gets gets into a championship-level ride, he's got a better chance at surpassing than anyone, frankly. Um yeah, but you've got to
1: you've got to have a dominant car or a very competitive car for multiple seasons to, to yes. stand a chance of getting in the mix on that pole record, haven't you? And uh, you know, poor old Max can't <laughs> can't uh, even finish many races these days. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's you yeah, know when you're in the 60s pole positions, that that is a tough tough ask. I mean, Schumacher had a dominant car for multiple seasons with the Ferrari from uh, what was it 2000 to 2005 and then well, and,
0: uh, and he certainly he won pole position in 98 and 99 too even though Mika went ahead and uh Mika went ahead and uh won the championships yep yeah, and, and he
1: had a couple of good seasons in the Benettons in 94 95 as well so Definitely so um, and I
0: believe he uh I believe that uh well I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't stretch my memory of history too much uh, but it certainly in '97 he did well as well. It was just before Mika Hakkinen was someone to really worry about. Uh, but I know that it was uh, Michael Schumacher that Jules uh, Villeneuve was uh, competing against for the championship in '97. So
1: that's right. Um, yeah, you know it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because Michael did have a few seasons where he wasn't in the most competitive car and was still able to get the odd race win or at least the odd pole position. And Hamilton has demonstrated that as well. When he was in the McLaren um, with JB, Jensen Button, you know, the the chassis wasn't always that competitive, but he was always capable of of getting it in the mix from time to time. And uh, there was an interesting stat I read, uh, 111 uh, podiums out of 200 races for Hamilton. Um, So more than half his races, he ends up on the podium, which... Wow. Could, obviously if anyone's just been tuning in for the last couple of years, you say, Well, you'd have to be a, a bit of a turkey in order not to do that. But he's had plenty of season where he, he hasn't been in the quickest car and and you know, he's still managed to get the job done. And I think that's what marks the you know, the greats out, the uh, the Schumacher's the, the Hamiltons, you know, the Senners obviously prost from from the rest, that they they they're never they're never really truly out of the mix, even when their car isn't uh isn't the top top performer. So yeah, it's impressive all around for all of those guys.
0: And I mean, I think one other point to add to what you're saying, you know, Schumacher for most of his career made certain that his teammate was not a threat. Right. And, uh, that was truly, I was certain for race wins, but really in many aspects for pole positions as well. And, uh, you're going to love this. Nico Rosberg, um, Actually, bettered uh, Hamilton in in uh, claiming pole position in 2014, and uh, was very competitive um, in 15 and 16 as well with pole positions. Had uh, Hamilton had a more Schumacher-esque setup in terms of race team, you know, he probably would have obtained more pole positions yet there as well. So there's many uh, there's many different angles you can take to. Uh, bolster or weaken the argument of who's truly, you know, earned the record or whatever. The fact of the matter is, uh, Hamilton's brilliantly quick, and he's been in a very fast car, and he just keeps on going, and he and he's he's just achieved a mighty record, and it's it's certainly worth applauding. There's no doubt about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point. The, the you know Formula One has changed a lot over the years. Obviously, I remember the days when I first got into F1. They used to have qualifying sessions on Friday and Saturday, so you had the, you know, occasionally the situation where someone who had just set up their car pretty well on the Friday um, stuck it on pole, but probably would have lost pole position if it had been a dry Saturday. Subsequently, got to hold on to it because the quicker guys got uh, didn't get a chance to show their pace on the Saturday because of because of the weather conditions. Um, you know, you, you so that was that was back in the in the nineties when they used to run two qualifying sessions in on the Friday Saturday sessions. And, you know, the qualifying is a change. Now you have all these engine penalties that come into the mix, right. That, that over time yeah, could,
0: gearbox changes exactly, happen all the time. All, all these yeah.
1: penalties. I mean, they used to have T cars, right. Where if your, if your primary right, car went right. down, you could jump with a T car. So it complicates these records. Um, and we oversimplify the sport dramatically by just looking at the numbers because it has, you know the sport has changed a lot over the over the years, and I'm not saying it's harder for the the current crop than the old old days because, you know, the dangers have changed dramatically. The performance and the reliability well, of the cars has changed dramatically exactly. in that time. So it's that's a
0: point I was about to make, in fact.
1: Yeah, so it's you know it's you give one, you take away on the on the other hand, but.
0: But um but it, well, there's you know. one more point to make. No,, no we're still stuck on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, another I think it's valid is the number of races per season are trending up right and uh, uh, so there are now in more reliable machinery that's more likely to be consistent um, from one race to the next, you have more opportunities in that season to collect pole position or a race win or whatever. So that's that's another opportunity. You know, you look at uh, Juan Manjo Fangio's record, five championships and all this, and you know, he's got something along the lines of twenty five race wins. But back then, you know, it was seven Grand Prix a year, you know. That's right. So it's 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 always it's always something you have to kinda have a bit of context and that's why uh you us engineers can think about ratios and that kind of thing and, and, and really think about how often when they competed did they win and that helps add a little bit of context to it but uh, anyway, Jolyon Palmer
1: <laughs> Well actually we did uh, uh, jump ahead a little bit there didn't we because you know it was interesting how um, Ferrari employed the tactic quite quickly of getting Raikkonen to assist in Vettel and I wonder if the, the same will happen again next weekend at Monza where uh, you know clearly that that should be a track that that should favour the Mercedes, um, and there's the theory that Mercedes still have an extra qualifying mode that, that Ferrari can't access yet that gives them a little bit of a of a horsepower advantage in Q3. So is Kimi also going to have a mysterious problem in the last run in Q3 to allow him to give Seba right. a tow here and there? Um, I think there's, there's definitely Ferrari are, are going all out to try and win the the drivers' championship, and they're going to do anything uh, to assist Sebastian. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, Bottas was a little off the pace this weekend. He he wasn't uh, really threatening, um, certainly Lewis's uh, lap time in qualifying, and and was um, quite a way off in the end, which you know goes back to this theory that you know on the on the slower, twistier tracks, Bottas is able to to get closer to the car's ultimate pace, but on the on the faster-flowing, more challenging tracks like uh, Spa, uh, he's not quite on Lewis's ultimate pace. So, so yeah, it was a bit disappointing weekend for Botas in a number of respects.
0: Um, so what you're saying is uh, Botas is indeed way off the pace of Nico Rosberg. I, I get it. No, I understand. Uh, listen, you really just need to move on. Nico has retired.
1: I think what I'm saying is, you know, in a in 3 or 4 seasons, uh he'll probably be on the pace of Lewis just like Nico was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, Botas was uh was not well, no one really was. Uh Hamilton's match, he really did seem just another level above his usual self um this this weekend, but uh you know, Botas was not was also not a threat to uh, Vettel uh, that much either. And, um, yeah, it was really frustrating to see uh, the weekend that Kimi had. He clearly was quick. He was quickest on Friday uh, for at least one of the practices and showed very strong uh, numbers in early qualifying. But then, yeah, all of a sudden these vibrations showed up and, you know, it just became yet another... uh, support Vettel event and you know raikkonen has been signed for another year so it'll most likely be another year of the same for him
1: yeah i mean he we'll, we'll come on to the race obviously in a minute but uh, he and botas had quite contrasting fortunes in the race and they um with uh, kimi actually ending up higher than than you would expect given his his penalty uh, and botas um lower um, with obviously the safety car playing a factor in that, but Kimi ultimately didn't do too badly, uh, given his problems in qualifying and uh, and, the, and the stop-go penalties. So not a bad weekend for him. He's certainly quick around Spa. There's no doubt about that. He's got plenty of pace, and I think he's fully deserving of a of another season in F1 um, because he's he's certainly not a million miles away from the ultimate pace. If not quite on it, but um, and and a good team player, good sport as they say in Ferrari these days.
0: but Yeah, and he's certainly not too old. Let's uh, <laughs> definitely remember that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, no. Uh, 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 Kimi Kimi is, is always a a pleasure to watch around Spa, and it's always frustrating to see him not be able to convert more regularly on other tracks because Spa truly, come on, it's the most challenging, so why aren't the other tracks cake? But just for some reason, that's the way... It falls, and uh, Kimi is, uh, at, to this moment, Kimi is still Ferrari's most recent driver's champion. So, That's very true, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. So, Julian Palmer, he did really well in qualifying. He was driving, uh, this is cliche, but it's also the truth, he was driving like his job depended on it, and he was doing quite well. But then he had, uh, in Q3, I believe it was, or the end of Q2, he had a gearbox fail. I mean, it's just, it was, that was, of all, of all the events and all the things, that that one more than anything else this season really made me feel for, uh, for, for the young Brit, because that, that's a rough go.
1: Yeah, Palmer was a bit mysterious, really, because he, he was handily quicker than Hulkenberg in, in certainly Q1 and Q2. Uh, probably would have got seventh on the grid if, if the gearbox had held together. Didn't have any luck. But clearly was quick around Spa, yet didn't demonstrate that in the race. So I don't even—I'm not sure that that qualifying pace is going to be enough to save his job, because uh, I was watching. I was expecting him to move up through the field uh, quite, you know, quite quickly, given the performance of the Renault, um, and he just didn't. Uh, Whereas Hulkenberg, who had been outpaced up until that point, got on with it and um put in a good good race and and got a good posi- you know good results so there's something still not quite well, right i with mean palmer. he
0: finished he finished 6th yeah uh halkenberg did so
1: exactly yeah an excellent result so i i haven't really looked into why palmer wasn't able to uh uh, you know, deliver deliver the performance on race day. Uh, I think the, the car was was back to, to working order. So he just uh, seemed to struggle getting to lots of scraps with the likes of Alonso, uh, who was quite amusing in the race. But yeah, uh,
0: definitely so. But yeah, you, uh, I, I mean, entertaining to listen to, yeah, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Williams? That they actually considering their season, considering their trajectory these days. You know, Felipe Massa finished 8th, and uh, uh, Lance Stroll 11th. Well, they had a kind terrible qualifying. Re- exactly. It was miserable. They Neither car could get out of Q1. Yeah. They got a real uh, problem in qualifying.
1: I don't know what's going on there. It's been going on for a few races since they they came along with a big error upgrade, and since then, the car's been terrible in qualifying, but reasonably competitive in the race, and uh, um, yeah, Massa Massa put in a good shift and got an eighth place, which you wouldn't
0: have predicted after qualifying, would you? So, no, and his crash—that's right. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, or that was was that qualifying or practice? That must have been practice. It was in practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I find Williams quite interesting. I mean, obviously they got Paddy Lowe now. he's not going to turn this season around? He's going to be putting in the pieces for next year's car. Uh, there's rumors that Alonso are considering Williams, but you'd have to be a brave man to jump ship from McLaren to Williams, given their respective uh, performance. Neither of them are uh, setting the world on fire, are they? So, um,
0: yeah, I, Williams. Alonso has just an amazing talent of terrible timing of team switching. So, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him. But you know, my understanding is that. He's got stronger ties to Honda than he does McLaren. I have a hard time seeing Alonso leave, but I, I've i been proven wrong so many times today, let alone in the past generally. So, could be. I wouldn't rule it out, but I just, it seems foolhardy to me. Did you notice? Uh, I think
1: it was Q2, Stoffel Van Dorn actually outperformed Alonso, which was the first time I'd seen someone. Qualify him in a while, um, and then they in Q three because Stoffel had already picked up you know seven hundred grid place penalties for that weekend. They just decided <laughs> to right. use it. It was literally it was <laughs>
0: sixty five, I think. I mean, it was just an incredible number. So they decided to you know employ the Ferrari tactic and
1: Stoffel towed Alonso around. Right, uh, that's right. And apparently they're going to reverse that for next weekend because Alonso's already got like forty. Could place penalties before they even wrapped wow. up to the circuit, which is impressive. So
0: he gave Alonso a toe, and then uh, coming up on the bus stop, uh, Alonso pulled off into the pits because he didn't have engine power again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It was just it was a dreadful, dreadful thing. So uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton secured the pole. There was that amazing <laughs> Schumacher moment. Uh, Vettel was outside pole. Uh, we saw the other Merckx in Red Bull was knocking on the door. The race came. Uh, I don't know where to start. I, there's what 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 is more itchy for you it to get off your tongue? Uh, Max Verstappen's uh, uh, DNF or uh, the Force India's?
1: I think we've got to start with the race win, um, honestly. So, you know, Lewis got his 58th win, and it was very tight. I mean, Seb pushed him all the way. But what really fascinated me was Seb got... Two really good chances to make a pass, and he and he didn't even look, uh, you know, any any hope of getting them in either either instance. So you know, right off the off the line, um, Sebastian was able to follow him through Rouge very closely, um, but didn't even look look like making a pass um, at the end of the Kemmel straight. And then after the safety car, he looked in absolute perfect position, didn't he, to to make a run on him. And from what I've been reading. Lewis was quite quite clever, so he basically got off the gas uh, through a rouge, so forcing said to lift, and then hammered it down the straight. So so Sebastian never got uh, got a chance to, to come out of the slipstream and make the make the move. So that was actually, if that's you know, if Lewis is actually telling the whole truth there and wasn't just in the wrong engine mode, which has also been suggested. That was pretty pretty shrewd because you know you are a bit of a sitting duck on the first uh, lap and 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 after a safety car, um, we've seen people make all sorts of passes. Up, up, up. Yeah, and, and again this season, I mean some fantastic overtaking manoeuvres. I mean Lewis's pass on um, uh, I can't, it must have been a backmarker, but but his move at the top of a rouge was. Blinding. I mean, he was so much quicker than the car he was actually overtaking.
0: Oh, I know what move you're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, oh, geez. Well, now I'm. I know. I know the move. I remember the move, and I. I do believe that they. That very well could have been. I think that was Räikkönen. It was because it, it was after Lewis pitted, but before the Ferraris had done. And uh, oh yes, I think you're I,
1: right.
0: Yeah. But uh, no, you're absolutely right, and uh, you know. What was even more remarkable about that is, you know, he had the perfect opportunity for a toe and either Lewis was incredibly cra- clever or incredibly lucky in that point. But, you know, oftentimes it's like, well, the Mercedes has the muscle, um, he could have slipstream right by him next lap. But we're talking about um, Vettel being on, was it the Ultra Soft right. or the Super Soft? The he was so- on, yeah, he was on. He was on a two-compound softer tire. Lewis was on pure softs. Both new sets, but the fact that Lewis was able to inch apart a gap after the safety car on softs compared to uh, Vettel's ultra soft, that was just... That's kind of what led more than anything to my thinking that Hamilton was just possessed this past weekend. It was just unbelievable what he was able to achieve with the circumstances.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. To, to be able to hold off Vettel uh, on a slower tyre, um, with the tyres both being exactly you know, the same number of laps uh, in terms of age, was was incredible. Uh, but you kind of wonder if you know, Mercedes did have maybe three, four tenths a second advantage and the you know, events conspired to make the Ferrari look a bit more competitive than it was you know, maybe, maybe we'll see the true pace in Monza because ultimately the qualifying was was tainted by the slipstreaming, and in the race they were on, you know, slightly different tires. And I think Lewis was being quite smart. He, uh, I think the plan was to do a one one stop race, right? So he probably right, yeah. wasn't going any quicker than he had to. Um, you know, one point seven, one point eight second gap was what it was for most of the race, which was more than enough. Um, he could respond to any attack from Sebastian without, you know, over overusing the tires. Um, I, I guess he did have a blister, so um, the Mercedes team was saying that the the safety car came in at a pretty good good time to get him off tires that were marginal for the remaining 14 laps. So, um, so I think we'll there's some people suggesting that Ferrari's pace in Belgium suggests that when they get back to circuits that favor the Ferraris, the Mercedes won't see which way they went. But I'm not quite so convinced that the the, the track uh, sensitivity uh, isn't continuing even after the summer break. And that obviously we still have Mercedes and Ferrari tracks. I don't think Ferrari have made the, the complete ground up, to be honest. So, but time will tell.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think... Monza will be another very strong track for Mercedes. Uh of course Ferrari will try anything to uh make the win there. Uh and more so than the other places. Singapore is going to be very rough for Mercedes, always has been. Um but you know, after that that's to me there will be the real closing and uh, once we see where the points fall, once we get past Singapore that will be uh that will be eye opening to me. But um, uh, I, I really, uh, I really want to talk about Force India. It's, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean it. It's just getting childish. It's uh, and you know, uh, Sergio is is a young guy. I mean, he's uh, Sergio's ten years younger than me, so that puts him at twenty seven. And then Ocon is another seven years younger than that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty darn young pairing. They're both, uh, passionate about what they do. Great. But good heavens, two incidents in one race. That's just, I'm, I, that's toddler level. I mean, explain to me how this is even feasible. So I think,
1: I think the first one you can forgive them, right? It was very busy on the run down at Rouge and, uh, and it was tight and, and they had the front wheels touch and everyone got away with it. So no big deal. I, you know, often and,
0: and Perez even admitted blame for that one.
1: Right. Okay. So the second one was unforgivable from both drivers'
0: perspective, I think. So Perez... Oh, is, thank goodness. Okay. Yeah, so I <laughs> thought you and I were going to have to have a shouting match.
1: So Perez is claiming that he didn't know Ocon was there, which obviously is complete nonsense because he was sat right in the middle of the track, clearly yes. looking to block either way. Uh, he uh, Ocon decided to go. So, uh, but the the point for me is why, as Ocon, would you try and pass there? You, you're clearly running out of road. It's very easy for your teammate to drive you into the wall if he's crazy enough to want to do that, and he was crazy enough. Um So yeah, you just...
0: Zero ba- hesitation. You
1: just back off, right, a little bit, you follow him up, and you take him on the straight,
0: and why... Exactly, the, 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 it is the... the- Possibly the easiest pass to make in Formula One, let alone in Belgium, and and you know, just have that patience, right? Exactly, right. right. And so,
1: in, in the end, he, he dives down the inside. He could have it could have come off a lot worse, really. Frankly, with just a, a wing damage and, and a puncture, they could have they could have really hurt each other. Uh, and Ocon comes out, you know, with a, with a points finish. So, from his perspective, it all worked out brilliantly. But it's just. It is absurd. Uh, you know, the team manager's just got to sit them down and say, "Look, if you don't call it, we're going to just drop you for a race," and, and just really crystallise their thinking because they're damaging their careers. At the end of the day, if you can't not hit your teammate in a race in a car that is really pretty good, it's the fourth best car
0: at most circuits
1: on average, right?
0: Well, I mean, we'll we'll have a talk about that in a sec because the Renault. But okay. uh,
1: but they've been. But very yeah, it's a strong though.
0: car. It's a strong mid pack car for sure. Yeah,
1: and so what you're trying to do is put in some good runs and attract attention from a top team. And the way not to do that is to crash into your teammate every weekend. I mean, they're not doing themselves any favors at all. Um, they may get dropped from their current team, and they're certainly not really really going to get other team managers, owners beating down their door for a driver. They Behaving like that, as you said, it's it's uh, it's toddler behavior. It's, it's crazy,
0: right? And I I think I, I what was most shocking to me is you know passions are high and uh, things are going on and you're getting anxious. I'm even willing to go as far as to say the second incident is not excusable, perhaps, but to a certain extent, slightly understandable. But then, in the post-race interviews. Ocon just went off on how unacceptable it was and how miserable you know an experience and how he did nothing wrong and you know that Perez just needs to get his head checked or whatever. And I was feeling exactly how he just stated it's like you made a lot of decisions yourself to put to put yourself put yourself in that place. Let's say that uh, Perez didn't push him into the wall and they were side by side going into O'Rouge. Rouge. What are the chances of that ending well? Right, between those two. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean,
1: it, it was never. It, it's not a classical overtaking spot, is it? On <laughs> the rundown? unless you no. have way more. And Mark Webber pulled couple.
0: it off in uh, 2011, I think it was, and it was incredible. But it wasn't a. It, it wasn't with the the same level of anger and reputation with the other driver. And just as you stated, I mean it just a tiny little bit of uh, keeping your head screwed on straight. And you would have realized I have an amazing drafting opportunity up the hill here in, you know, 10 seconds time. Uh, And so, yeah, I I feel both drivers are are very much to blame and the team has come out and said that, uh, you know, they pretty much plan on having strict team orders (laughs) from here on in because they're done. And I think, I think that uh, you talked about, and I think that's a good move. You talked about saying, Hey, if you don't pull this off your, your band for a race, I think, I think they're actually pretty close to firing one of them if this keeps going. So,
1: yeah, I mean, they, I, I did find the, the press release by sports India funny because they were talking about the risk to their fourth place in the constructors. I don't see a lot of danger of them losing that because they've got quite a handy advantage over the uh, fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth teams. Um, and they, as I said, yeah, they we're uh, competitive at most weekends.
0: 103 points compared to 45 for Williams and 40 for Tortoroso, 35 for Haas and 34 for Renault. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. so
1: uh, pretty safe. And you know, more often than not, the two cars are in the top 10, so they pick up points most most weekends. Um, so, but. Yeah, at the end of the day, it just doesn't look good on the team. It doesn't look good on the drivers. The sponsors uh, start to wonder if you know the management can control their own drivers, uh, and it's just ridiculous. It's, it's um, this this situation should have stopped several Grand Prix ago, and it's still rumbling on, isn't it? And it's getting worse. So uh, it appears that they're trying to even do things to make the cars be in different parts of the circuit at any you know any one time, whether it be qualifying practice or the race uh, and that's just extraordinary that you can't have two professional race drivers not hit each other not give each other respect on the on the track um and as i said it's just, exactly. it's, just it's trashing their reputations and perez you know he's already had a bit of a you know it's like his second coming isn't it i mean he got the mclaren seat he um he, you know he didn't justify a top seat um he got picked up because he's got a lot of sponsorship money so he should be rather uh, feeling lucky that he's still got an F1 drive, frankly. So why he's, he's behaving like this. is just beyond me.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree. And, uh, and, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the season pans out. There are eight more races. So, uh, it's definitely going to be a, I, I feel like that's the, um, that's the real housewives of pick a place episode that happens within the formula one season this year. So, uh, it's uh, it's good watching. Uh, the uh, the other drama is is not between teammates but more between uh man and machine and that's uh max verstappen and his sixth retirement in 12 races uh you know he he he's not he's not having a good finish rate and his frustration with the team is becoming clear and i, I don't know what to think of it i don't know i'm curious what you think of it
1: well, he's having a Lewis Hamilton season, isn't he? I mean, you, his car keeps breaking, and your teammate's car keeps working perfectly. It's It's got to be very frustrating. You know that the cars and the equipment are set up absolutely as identical as they can be, other than the suspension settings you obviously want to tune. Um, so to have your car keep being the one to blow up must be very, very irritating. Although it does appear that they... You know they, they have a lot of respect, and it was interesting how the Dutch fans were quite happy to transfer their allegiance to uh, to Ricardo, who had them all. Well, Ricardo so likable, <laughs> the more <all> singing <laughs> on the podium. So yes. that was pretty humorous. But uh, yeah, I feel bad for Max. I mean, you know, I'm sure he'll have plenty of support at the races, and his luck like, will will change sooner rather than later. But yeah, I mean, it's just like it was last year. Why does the one engine for the one driver keep keep detonating? Um, and, and not you know because there's more than just two renault engines on the grid right so why is it always uh, his his engine or gearbox it's mysterious um i mean i don't know where he is in terms of penalties is he going to start picking up penalties soon you would have thought that he's probably
0: gone through most of his equipment uh what six- uh, no i think that's a good point definitely so. so i i i have to say though i i do struggle a little bit with it purely being luck. I think that with uh, the way the way look, you're an engineer. You get it, it, and TV just doesn't pick up the differences. But there's there's easier ways and more difficult ways and hard on the machinery ways to get something accomplished. And I wonder if there is a way that Verstappen applies throttle, the way that he hits the brakes, the way that he hits curbs, the way that he does inputs that does contribute to a weakness in the car that his driving style calls out more than Ricardo's does. Maybe that's a stretch in your mind, but to me, I, I feel like it can't be purely coincidence. I have a really hard time accepting that.
1: So i don't know exactly what the failure was or or you know, haven't catalogued all his failures this year, but uh, you know if it was suspension failures, i'd be more inclined to agree with you that um, you know his driving' style of his hard on the curbs might might cause some some suspension issues uh, but you know we're talking about power unit failures right and um, I don't believe that the curbs are causing vibrations that are accelerating any failure mode on on max's car. And the systems in place prevent you from over revving, selecting. You know, in the old days, you could over rev, you could pick the wrong gear, right, and you could blow the engine up. That's just not possible with the the way the engines and and transmission systems and electronics are all configured. So it's harder to believe that it's something that's the you know the work of the driver. But it, I guess it is possible. I, I I'd have to do some research to 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 think about that a little bit more. But. Um, I think you know it's interesting. If Hamilton's driving style was causing Mercedes engines to blow up last season, what, what has he changed his style this year, or what's gone on? Because he, you know, well, he's he's had flawless. Oh, I really shouldn't say this, but he's had flawless liability <laughs> this season. Yeah,
0: knock on wood, sir. Where is it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, but I, you know, that's. I think I I was pretty careful about this for that exact reason. I think that I don't. I'm not trying to say that uh, one person is, you know, changing the oil on a regular basis and the other person's never changed it, and so, of course, that person's car will blow up. What I'm saying is uh, there's a weakness in the car, but for whatever reason, Verstappen's driving style exacerbates that weakness more than Ricardos', And so, what I'm saying is there could have been a weakness in the car uh, that... Hamilton's driving style exacerbated more than Nico last season as an example. And again, that's that's pure that's pure uh uh speculation on my part, but it is it's just it's a theory based on the notion of it, it, it can't be pure luck. And that's that's what I'm going on.
1: I mean I know after all the failures, not so much I haven't been following the Renault ones this year, but all the failures that Mercedes were encountering last year, they obviously did a root cause analysis, they identified exactly what the failure was and, and why it was happening. Um, and I don't remember a single one being traced back to the you know drivers characteristics of how they're actually, you know, going around the track relative to the other drivers. And I'd be surprised if the same um, yeah, you know, issue was, was occurring with Max. But who knows? I mean, we'll see. It is a, it's terribly unfortunate for him. He has got quite an aggressive style. Um, he's still an exciting driver. But his teammates, on a more positive note, did a tremendous job. I mean, obviously, that he got massively assisted by the safety car and Raikkonen's penalty. But I honestly thought he was going to be swallowed up in short order by both Raikkonen and Botas after the safety car pulled in. And he held them off, and it didn't even look close. They never had a single shot at him. I mean, he actually pulled out quite a nice gap on both of them. Um,
0: yeah, nearly four seconds at the end. Yeah,
1: and um, I, don't, I don't remember hearing that either Raikkonen or Botas had any sort of problems with their, with their cars at the end of the race. So, yeah, it was impressive. So you've got Red Bull now who yeah, they need things to go their way and a little bit of luck. But, uh, I mean, he earned that podium and uh, obviously nowhere near um, Hamilton or Vettel, but still a very impressive podium on a track that really doesn't suit uh, their chassis. I mean, obviously they were quick through sector two, but uh, sectors one and three are performance sectors where horsepower is critical. They, they're still down on power with the Renault. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the chassis is compensating for that and obviously a little bit of driver skill as well and um, deserved a podium, no doubt.
0: Yeah no, I I agree completely. I think uh, Ricardo's a fantastic driver and he's a brilliant racer. Works really hard and and smart. Uh I I do think uh, with the Red Bull it's actually more than just power. I think it's also uh partially they're so they're so effective in sector 2 uh because of uh a, an efficient chassis with downforce, but I do believe that they run a bit more drag than some of the other cars, uh, particularly their Mercedes, and uh, that also hurts them in sectors one and three. Um, I'm not trying to give Renault an out uh, saying they have the most powerful engine or anything. I'm just saying I believe with Red Bull particularly, they they have a little bit more of a drag-laden car than, uh, than the other top teams. But um, there's uh, – rumors uh, potential rumors going out they said well you know botas has not yet been signed for 2018 and verstappen's frustrations growing is it possible that mercedes finds a way to snatch verstappen from red bull
1: yeah that would be an interesting move wouldn't it because max is already at a place where he wouldn't accept being a number two. I think Botas is still a little bit, uh, you know, he talks a good game when people bring up the, you know, the, the championship being still relatively close, certainly prior to Belgium. Uh, but uh, Max isn't going to follow team orders. I don't think he's, he's not of that mindset. So Botas is much more a team player in in the mold of uh, of your man, Rosberg. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> Mercedes would run the risk of upsetting um, upsetting the dynamic of the team, I think Lewis would welcome it. I don't think Lewis would say no, frankly. But I think ultimately it might be to their detriment if, if it's going to be another close race between Ferrari and Mercedes in uh, 2018. So um, I think I think Max is better off sticking with Red Bull. I think when Renault gets on the pace with the engine, they'll they'll be very competitive again. Might have to wait another season or two, but they'll they'll certainly be back winning races before long.
0: Yeah, with uh, Verstappen moving to, I think part of it is that uh, reporters, uh, journalists, people like me are looking for, you know, fun little plot twist potential to add to the silly season because, frankly, the silly season isn't looking all that terribly silly. Um, The more interesting news that kind of came as a, well, it didn't work out was You know, Vettel was actually in pretty serious talks, and there were probably there were rumors of this ahead as well, but Vettel was in pretty serious talks with Mercedes actually. And there was not they were not ruling out a Vettel Hamilton teammate (laughs) scenario, which if you can imagine on paper at least, that would be truly a dominant pairing. But I think in reality that could have been serious fireworks. But alas, it's not to be uh Vettel was signed to a three-year deal uh, extension with Ferrari. I imagine there's a couple of perks involved with that deal. And, uh, you know, if you want to follow in the footsteps of Michael Schumacher, you stay at Ferrari. So to me, that was an inevitable conclusion. Yet, I guess people were taking it more seriously than I thought. There were rumors that... Vettel was just using that as a bargaining chip. I don't know. How do you feel about it? So did you
1: see the terms of the contract? I know it's for three years, but how much of a pay raise did he get?
0: Uh, Vettel? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs>
1: I, I imagine it was quite sizable, right? So yeah. I, I think it's in both um, Vettel's and Mercedes' interests to have that discussion because it puts pressure on Botas and the Ferrari management. So I can see mm. why why Mercedes would happily chat to him and why Vettel would happily chat to Mercedes, because uh, it's in, you know, it it just strengthens their negotiating position. Whereas, realistically, I don't think Vettel would want to drive a Mercedes as long as Hamilton's there. I think he's certainly much more of the Schumacher mold, which is, you know, maybe he believes deep down he is quicker than Hamilton, uh, you know, and on occasion he has been. Um, But ultimately, you know, it's going to be a much tougher fight than having the might of Ferrari, Put all their all their uh, resources behind you winning the championship, rather than having to duke it out with a re- really competitive teammate. It's yeah, so, you know as long as Ferrari are delivering competitive cars, that's a much better situation. It, it improves your odds of being successful, doesn't it? So I I don't think he was serious about that, and uh, I don't think Hamilton is going to go anywhere at the end of his contract either. I think he's going to resign.
0: Mercedes, the, it, it, you know, a lot can happen in a year, but uh, based on based on what I've seen so far, I, I, I agree. Uh, what what did you think about uh, McLaren's performance? I mean, obviously, Fernando Alonso produced quite the, you know, perhaps a more entertaining podcast than we're doing here, and we're trying to do it. Uh, I mean, you know. Uh, Alonzo, he, you know, he's just in a real interesting place and there were interviews afterwards about where his future's going and all these things and it's just been remarkably... I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on it because I don't know. I, I'm i actually willing to believe that Alonzo's saying the truth when he doesn't know because he's like, well, in his mind, none of these deals are that great so he doesn't know which bad choice to make.
1: Yeah, I, it's interesting, isn't it? how frustrated he got i mean he must have known at the start of the race he was going to go backwards in a hurry um and that's exactly what
0: happened Uh, well he had a brilliant start to get up to seven yeah absolutely and and he was
1: fighting tooth and nail for every position he wasn't i mean he pushed palmer off the track at one point you know clearly just desperate to hold on to every position and you've got to applaud him for that but uh but why get so frustrated? You, he's been dealing with this for two and a half seasons now. It, it shouldn't have come as a surprise to him. And I think it's not the, the lack of performance in the race. I think it's the lack of options, isn't it? It's the fact that he's performed so well in a really tough situation, and yet he's still not getting back to where he belongs, where you know most of us think he belongs, which is in the competitive car. And... Um, and that's just because he's kryptonite, isn't he? I mean, he's, uh, he's he, he will make any happy
0: team dynamic um, completely corrosive overnight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the the situation at Ferrari was massively perplexing. I mean, he finished second in the championship at least twice with his tenure. I think perhaps even three times when he was with Ferrari. It's impossible. He obviously had the pace. I, I don't know what he did to upset Ferrari so much that they didn't want him or did he actively quit? I to me that still isn't clear. And it's so perplexing. I like why would you leave Ferrari for a brand new engine and a brand new make and a make that you that make that manufacturer is a team that you left after a year not that long ago.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that Ferrari management's all cleared out since he was there, and yet they still don't want to talk to him. So, yeah, he did he did some serious damage in that organization. I mean, if I was him, I'd, I'd probably plump for a Renault because, you know, this is a team he won his two titles with. Um, he uh, He's still, I think, a favoured son, you know, even though they've gone through various iterations since he won those titles. Um, I think he'd be welcome back Renault are clearly making progress with the chassis and the engine um, and they're, they're on an upward trajectory and an Alonso Hülkenberg uh, pairing would be pretty exciting I don't think it's going to give him a championship winning car for 18 but you know, you sign for two, three seasons and you hope that by 1920 you're in with a shout again um, and just leave, leave all the Honda acrimony behind uh, and move on I can't see another team giving him, um, other than a a Red Bull, Ferrari, or Mercedes, a more competitive shot over the next couple of seasons. I think Renault are in it for the long haul again. They got plenty of money. They've been there and done it in Formula 1. They've won countless times as certainly an engine manufacturer.
0: Yeah. No, they've been in it since what? I mean, since the 70s at least. Right, right? yeah. Since the dawn of the turbo era.
1: Um, So they – yeah, I mean, they were in it back in the (laughs) – in Just a hundred years ago, right? It'd be different. There you go.
0: So, um, yes, yeah, that, the that's, pre-war Renaults.
1: But at the end of the day, you would have thought that most of the other teams would probably wait until he's made a decision. So there isn't that he shouldn't rush into the decision. He should just see how the performance continues to develop over the next, uh, you know, six, seven, maybe even eight races. And then make a call because the driver market won't solidify until he, he decides, let's be honest, right? The top three teams are yeah. all set up pretty much. Uh, they're just waiting waiting to sign the contracts, I think, in the case of Mercedes and I'm pretty sure with Verstappen too. So um, I, I think, you know, the rest of the market depends on Alonso's decision. I don't think he's going to go to IndyCar. Uh, that, that wouldn't make a lot of sense.
0: Why? Why not? I mean, it's, it's a change of pace. He had a great time. He's got plenty of money. Why wouldn't he go?
1: Well, I think I think uh, you know the allure of Indianapolis is one thing. Uh, I think some of the other race entries during the season are not quite as um, you know blue ribboned. Uh,
0: well, I I proved to you firsthand uh, that uh, the Detroit Grand Prix is one of the most illustrious in the world.
1: Yeah, it, it's not quite up there with Le Mans and
0: <laughs> Monaco, though, is it? Oh, I, lo- I that, that was—is uh, your tongue bleeding? Like I'm biting it pretty City. hard.
1: I, I have a big supporter of Detroit, but um, but yeah, I don't think you can call the Bel-Air Grand Prix one of the racing calendar's most sought after events, can you? Um,
0: well, you know, I what I will say with in all in all seriousness is that it is it is a solid event uh, for IndyCar, but. No, I would not compare it to Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> there are uh, some
1: similarities. There's water there, for sure. Uh, that, that's true. Sort of that's course, true. But, yeah, it's a street course, but it sort of stops after that. No. You
0: know, I, 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 the Detroit, actually, there's a lot of similarities to uh, Montreal and Australia. And, uh, uh, you know, because it's, it's on its own little island, which is a park when it's not a racetrack. So it's a street course that sort of kind of quasi-permanent and, uh, you know, it's flat, but it does have some interesting corners uh, and some things going. And I I don't, I'd have a hard time to putting it, truly putting it against Canada and Australia as well, but I would, I wouldn't say it's too far from that. So,
1: I mean, I think, you know, he's making 40 million a year, something like that. He's not going to get that Indy car. Uh, I think think he he might try and do another one-off deal for the 500. He might even want to go and race at Le Mans if he's really that bored. But but ultimately, I I think unless he could do a more successful version of Mansell, which is you go away for a year, but you know you're going to come back into a competitive drive when you return, uh, I I don't see him leaving F1. Um, You know, Mansell got the... He won the '93 IndyCar Championship after after being world champion in '92 with Williams. He actually right. managed to get a McLaren drive um, for '94, but the McLaren wasn't wasn't that good that year, and he quit uh, what five or six races into that season. Um, you know, unless someone, the say Mercedes, is saying, okay, we can't offer you a drive for next year, but but maybe '19, uh, and he's just so tired of the Honda situation that he decides to take a year off. You know, maybe. I mean, there's rumors that Button might be coming back
0: for next year. Did you hear that? So, I did not. I would like that very much. Yeah.
1: So I think, you know, as I said, I think Alonso is either going to stick at Honda um, if he thinks there's really light at the end of the tunnel or switch to Renault. And, of course, as soon as he does that, Honda will find the 80 this season.
0: That's exactly I'm telling you. I mean, they've, they've made real progress this season they, with a new concept. I have a really hard time seeing Honda give up full stop. I think that they will eventually uh, figure it out and be competitive. Will they be besting Mercedes in power? Boy, I don't know. But I think they're going to get to a place where they're a solid contender before they give up, at the very least. And, you know, if, if Alonso rides it out, he'll be there for it. But maybe Alonzo leaving will be the thing that helps McLaren and Honda put it together. I, I just don't know. He is, for all his foibles, he is an extremely capable driver. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to see him in any car full season, truly. But uh, it's fun to think about. Yeah, he, I'll, I'll leave it he at that. He's
1: a phenomenal driver. He has some personality quirks, doesn't he? I mean, he's he's got some... Some issues in terms of being able to cope with difficult situations. He didn't handle the 07 season at McLaren very well when Hamilton was competitive, and the team wouldn't just uh, impose his will on, on uh, you know, with race orders and such. And um, you know, that was the first sign of real weakness in his makeup. You know, the guy could drive at an incredible level. You know, in cars that aren't really worthy of good, good finishes. He can get them where they don't belong. He's very consistent. His racecraft is extraordinary. But uh, ultimately, you can't. There's there's a reason why he hasn't been in a competitive car for such a long time, and that's you know how he operates um, outside of the car. And you know he said some interesting things before the race. He claimed that the McLaren was was the best chassis. Oh, that's a controversial Ugh. statement,
0: right? I mean, how's it? <laughs> yeah. What's
1: the basis for that? I didn't see any facts or figures to back that up. Um, so he's just constantly sort of...
0: I mean, if that were the case, real quick, I mean, if that were the case, wouldn't the McLaren effectively be on pole at Monaco? Right. I mean, right.
1: Or, or quickest through at least some of the sectors, some of the tracks, right? If, if it yeah. was all down to the you know, performance of the chassis and the engine wasn't impeding its performance so much. But yeah, I mean, he's just, all, all you're doing is pouring fuel onto a difficult you know, situation, onto the fire and making Honda feel even worse than they already do about providing an uncompetitive in- car for a third season in a row. I mean, it's just not productive. And all it does is it slowly irritates, you know, the whole organization and, and you lose the whole team. Ultimately, I think in the end, that's what happened at Ferrari. You just keep saying these these horrible, horrible things week in, week out, and the engineers, they're, they're regular people, right? Um, and the management, that regular people, and it, it grates, it grates after a while. I think.
0: No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, so we're just a few days away from. In many ways, this is, this is not my favorite track, but in many ways, this is my favorite race. Mm. Uh, Monza is always, in my mind, an incredible event. And it's just the Parabolica is quite the corner. And the speeds we reach and the special, uh, you know, light downforce packages that the teams bring. uh, Quite looking forward to it. Do you have any predictions? Uh, Do you think uh, Mercedes is going to have a comfortable edge here? Or do you think Ferrari has a trick up their sleeves?
1: I think you forgot the Tifosi and who are going to be in fine voice, right? With a competitive season. Right. So yeah, it'll be entertaining. I think Mercedes will probably have the edge in quality and then they'll be able to control the race. Uh, you know, one thing I did uh, note was, was Hamilton's start at Spa was electric. And um, you know the, the issues with his starting, you know, a season ago, seem to have long been consigned to history. Uh, they've they've nailed that that particular problem. Um, so as long as he can get pole and get away in the lead, I think he'll probably be able to get the win. But uh, you know, clearly, the thing I do like about Vettel is that he will, you know, you, he doesn't seem to know how to. Um, to give up, he just a little bit like Alonso in his prime. He he will just fight and fight and fight, and even if on paper he should be less competitive and not with a shot of a win, you could, you, you know you saw at Spa how close he came to pulling it off. Uh, one slip by by Hamilton, and he would have taken the win. So he'll push him all the way. I think we'll have another we'll have another tight tight race. Maybe yeah. maybe Raikkonen and Botas can be uh, up there as well this weekend as well, which would make it even more interesting.
0: I would love for Raikkonen to have a good result. I would, I would desperately love that. Uh, he, I, he's due, in my opinion. But uh, well,
1: your your uh, Vettel will have to have a DNF.
0: <laughs> I'm going to start uh, cheering on Rossberg, but only in front of you.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's just reality, isn't it? They will. They're at the point now, I think, where um, they'll they'll significantly impede Raikkonen's race if so it'll help Vettel. Unfortunately,
0: yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. And uh you know, I, I will I will say that there is uh there is a clear there is a clear edge that Vettel possesses and it is Schumacher esque and uh and it, it it hurts me deeply inside. But I uh Raikkonen clearly was able, was willing to deal with it for another year. So I should be as well.
1: So the interesting thing for me now is is with Bottas's poor result um, in Spa, getting only a fifth place, obviously the gap between him and Hamilton opened up significantly. So now will Mercedes start to employ some tactics to counter Ferrari's tactics? Because, um, you know, I think we all applaud in the last three seasons when they had a dominant car, they let the two drivers race each other absolutely the right way to do it, even though you know I didn't agree with Rosberg winning the championship, but it made it more interesting the season than just getting behind Hamilton early on. So but now when you've got a fight against another constructor and you're you've got one driver, you know, clearly in a better position to take that fight to Ferrari, wouldn't it make sense to start to favour him? Um I, I think we might see some some uh, Mercedes tactics employed this weekend. If Bottas proves to be quicker,
0: it, it, it is it is possible. I I, I wouldn't uh, argue with that. I, I I have a feeling that they're going to give it a race or two. I, I I think that those types of decisions will really start ramping up post Singapore. I feel like we have to get through Singapore, and because I, I know that that's a weak track for Mercedes, and once they once they see that it's like okay now they see the end game what is the best way between there and the end to get the result they want they're pretty comfortable uh in terms of constructors so it is the focus will be on drivers and how do they manage that so uh yeah should be interesting to see and in only a few days time we'll have another piece of the puzzle uh put in place Mr. Roche, always a pleasure to talk to you about uh, the lovely sport that is Formula One, and and how do you say pip pip?
1: <laughs> I think what we say is thank you very much, Internet, for <laughs> for playing ball. This evening, <laughs> that's right. Oh my
0: goodness, yeah, that that's that's uh, certainly taken away a couple of headaches. So anyway, be well. Thank you again for talking. It's always good. Thank you very much. Have a good night. All right, cheers. <laughs>